Welcome to Community Hope Podcast. We pray that the Word of Christ would dwell in you richly as you listen and that you would be encouraged in Christ. We are still in Corinthians, and man, I, I, I think uh, we all need to hear what this chapter has to say. And it is, um, it's all about what the world needs now. Anybody know that song? Was it the 60s? There it is. Yes, so many people did it. And I also thought, the pandemic hasn't been fun, has it? But I, I feel like God would have us learn stuff in the difficult times. And if you ask me, this chapter would be a good way to say, Lord, has the pandemic made me more loving? more motivated, juiced by the love and grace of Jesus. And that's what I hope by the end of the message, you'll get just a little better picture of Christ. Now, if you remember last week, I talked about spiritual gifts. And last week's chapter, and understand the Bible didn't have chapters, but last week, the end of that chapter was this, but eagerly desire the greater gifts. And then he says, now I'll show you a most excellent way. You know what I love about Paul? He, he may see stuff that they're not doing well, but many times he tries to get them to do what's right in, let me lift this up, check out the beauty of this, right? And, and then uh, last week, uh, some people said, good sermon, pastor, you know why I think they said it? Because I told stories about God doing miracles and gifts and things like that, and, and we love that stuff, right? And yet, I think the excellent way has a position for gifts, but has something even better. Check this out. If I speak with tongues or languages of men or languages of angels, but do not have love, I've become a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. Now, Billy knows all about noise and cymbals. And yet, they had this goddess that they worshipped. They didn't worship, uh, I think legally, one called Bacchus. Because he was, he was thought of as way too crazy and immoral, if you can believe it. But this one wasn't. And they would have these processions and they would, they would try to get the attention of the gods or the god with symbols. And I think Paul is saying that if you're not motivated by love, your gift is just a look at me thing. Check me out, right? And uh, it's uh, gifts... <laughs> can be used to get God's people to notice us in the service of the kingdom. Isn't that interesting? It's so subtle, isn't it? It is so subtle. And don't even think just of spiritual gifts. You know, whatever gifts you were born with, you may employ them for your own glory. What if you were born a beautiful person or a smart person, somebody who can learn languages, right? It's so easy to whatever gifts God has given us we somehow own them, right? And in one chance, yeah, that's good to own them. And the other chance, when we own them for our glory, it just messes us up, doesn't it? You know, speaking of tongues, I remember when uh, Gretchen and I were camp counselors. Gretchen, can you see yourself in that picture? You do. You got your leg. I'm the guy with the cowboy hat, and Gretchen has her leg on me there with her head cocked. It was, must have been funny dress-up day. Um, <clears throat> and... And at camp, we were doing this Bible study or something, and somehow tongues came up, and, a little, and somebody goes, I don't understand this. And one little, young girl goes, like, junior high, I speak in tongues. And they're like, really? Do it. And she just, like, rattles off in tongues. 
you know, when I think of that experience, it felt weird then. And even to think about it, it feels weird now because was she really talking to Jesus and praying or was she kind of showing off? It felt a lot like, look at me. And frankly, I could judge her more if I didn't see so much of that in myself too. You know, the look at me in my gifts. Well, the scripture goes on and says, if I have the gift of prophecy, that means he can speak for God. If he knows all mysteries, can like decipher the details of the Bible, all knowledge, right? If I have faith, special faith that can cast vision, that, that moves people, that even moves mountains, but have not love, I'm, I'm nothing. I'm nothing. I mean, this is like... This is powerful language. What is he really saying here? You know what he's saying? You can be in ministry and have a successful ministry. You might be doing miracles and mighty wonders, but at the end of it all, you may not have faith in your heart. Jesus knew this. He says many, isn't this interesting? Many, not one, not two, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name, cast out demons in your name, and work mighty miracles in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you evildoers. I always think of um, our relationship with God a lot like marriage, isn't it? You know, I remember chasing Gretchen, bagging her, and putting your head up on the wall for everybody to look at. You know what I'm saying? Like, I think sometimes in our marriage relationship, it's like we get what we want, but we don't keep putting the effort in to nurture the relationship. And isn't this some of what the Lord's talking about here? This kind of knowing Jesus intimately, spending time with him. I mean, I, we, we tend, I think, to use God. When, years ago, I was a young child, and I was on a boat uh, on Long Island Sound, we, we were anchored by this little island. Our dads were there, a bunch of boys on this, this sailboat, um, spent out for a night or two or three. And uh, this big storm comes up. And I remember praying because the anchor is getting pulled on the bottom. We are getting closer to the rocks. The waves are coming over, over the boat. You know, we had this like blow up dinghy thing and it was flying like a kite. And I could see panic on the dad's faces. Water's coming in the boat. You know, it was, it was a scary time. And I remember just praying. And I promised God everything. Of course, when the storm passed, I took it all back, right? But isn't that how we are many times? We use him, don't we? We use him. And, and, and God allows us. To, you know, he hears our prayers and stuff. And he's saying that people can actually use me and I will heal people, do miracles, help other people through people who don't even know me. That, that's mind-boggling, isn't it? Isn't it? I, I think sometimes what I do, and maybe you do too, we say, you know, if I'm doing well, I'm doing well. God is with me if my work is going well, if my kids are doing well, if my church is doing well, if you're preaching well, like, like if I'm employing my gifts, if you actually worship the Lord today from your heart as I was leading worship, I must be right with God. Right? I mean, this is how we work. We, we equate our gifts with somehow, and the employment of our gifts, and the blessing of our gifts, right, with somehow... My relationship with God is right. And it, 
It just isn't that way. Tim Keller said this. He said, this is also why Jesus said, by their fruit you shall know them rather than by their gifts, right? Love, that's fruit of the Spirit. Joy, that's the fruit of the Spirit. Peace, that's fruit of the Spirit. Humility, it can't grow and flourish in a heart that's far from God. But teaching, evangelism, counseling, leading can. This was from a letter or a, a thing written to, to people in ministry. You know, he's saying we can actually look to our ministry activity as our evidence that God is with us or somehow he has favor with us. And this section in Corinthians, the most excellent way is, hey, I, if love doesn't motive, be the motive, it'll just tear you apart, right? Because I think one of the hardest tests of all is a test of success. What do you do when things are going well? How is your heart with the Lord when things are going well? I mean, when trials hit, we tend to get closer to him. Unless we get angry and mad at him. But still, we're dealing with him. But when everything is going well, when we're fat, dumb, and happy, right? How is our relationship with Jesus? And I'm not going to list it, but <clears throat> time shows that it's successful ministry and successful in business, successful whatever it is, does not always equate to a wonderful, beautiful relationship with God. It says when we identify our ministry, our career, and make it an extension of ourselves, I am my blank, we become many times driven and scared or too timid and brash, right? And perhaps away from the public eye, we're engaging in secret sins. You know, it's like we... We got to blow up the man or woman who everybody sees, but the one whose home doesn't really know Jesus, doesn't really know him. And that's why I think it's so important uh, to hear the words that Jesus spoke. Uh, you find them in the Gospel of John when he said, listen, stay in me, remain in me, and I in you. Just as no branch can bear fruit by itself unless it remains in the vine, neither can you. Neither can I bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. The one who remains in me and I in him will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Now, is he saying you can't do wonderful works? Hmm, right? But you don't have that vibrant, intimate, most excellent way of love living and flowing in you. I read an article this week by a guy who worked with Tim Keller, and he's written a bunch of books, and he pastors a large church, <clears throat> and he writes, eight things I learned from Tim Keller's leadership. Uh, you know, we prayed for a gal this week, called, um, Becky Fritz. She passed, and we prayed for her, I should, should I say her husband and her son. Becky sat on our board years ago. Don, uh, her husband, used to play on the worship team, and we knew them and loved them, and she died of pancreatic cancer same cancer that Tim Keller has right now um, he may he may live longer like you know my mom actually was a survivor of pancreatic cancer but the the chances are slim that it, it will shorten his life and, and so in this article one of the eight things stuck out at me he said uh, Scott Saul said Tim's influence grew over the years meaning his his influence in the world the books he wrote he said so did his dependence and personal engagement with the hidden ordinary graces such as daily scripture reading and prayer is that not beautiful 
could they say that about us as your career got as you got more well known as you did this mom's as you had more kids like whatever it is so did your dependence on your ordinary graces daily scripture readings and now his habits will put most of us to shame mine included his longtime habit of praying through the Psalms every month reading the entire Bible every year get this he also maintained at age 66 a youthful posture of learning that had that has him reading a hundred and fifty books a year like I'm happy with 15 you know 12 you, you know what I'm saying that, but this is this uh, this bit is what stuck with me and why I stuck it in he says the prayer that I began praying for myself when I began writing books and serving as a pastor of Christ Presbyterian Lord give me character that is greater than my gifts and humility that is greater than my influence is that not beautiful Lord give me character that's greater than my gifts and humility that's greater than my influence was chiefly inspired chiefly by what I saw in Tim the scripture goes on he says he goes from gifts to actually passion he says if I give all I possess to feed the poor so you have whatever money you choose a life of poverty I mean there's something beautiful about that or you die for the sake of the gospel I surrender my body to be burned but it profits me nothing if I have not love. I mean, is that powerful? He would say, if Mother Teresa, which I believe she was, wasn't motivated by love, she's got nothing, right? And that's, that's like a powerful statement, isn't it? But I love her statement here. If you can't feed a hundred people, feed one. Who's in your path? Right? Who's, who, who's in your path? Beautiful. And this is what Jesus said. It's the same kind of stuff. Paul is right in line with what Jesus taught. He said, take heed that you don't do your charitable acts before men to be seen by them. Otherwise, you have no reward from your fathers in heaven. Like it's so easy again, not maybe our gifts, but even our whole lives. We're so hungry for an identity that is not found in Christ. But the most excellent way is to lose ourselves and find ourselves in the God who, who is love. You know, when, when you and I um, become Christians, we don't just repent of the bad things we do. We repent of the good things we've done for the wrong motive. And to know Jesus is to look at your own life and go, Lord, here it is, and I see that I've done good things for the wrong motives and bad things for, of course, the wrong motives. Lord, have mercy on me. Have mercy on me. And I, he comes to us that way, doesn't he? He comes to us. So now we move into the wedding section of the, the passage. And, and I say that because Paul did not action for weddings, did he? This next section I have read, maybe you've heard it read at many, many weddings. He did not write it for weddings. Look what it says. Love is patient. Love is kind. It's not jealous. Love does not brag. It's not arrogant. It does not act unbecomingly. It does not seek its own. It's not provoked. It doesn't take into account wrongs suffered. 
It does not rejoice in unrighteousness, but rejoices in the truth. Bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things, love never fails. You know, I grew up in the church, but then I became really stupid spiritually. And I wondered what love was. It was the 70s. It was the time of free love. It was the time of bell bottoms and long hair and all other kinds of stuff. And I didn't know what love was. And somebody wrote me a letter and said, you ask what love was, here it is. They didn't put chapter and verse, but they put this section and I read it and something rang true in my heart. And I was like, this is love. I knew I didn't have it, but this is love. How many, when you read this, hear this, hey, I want you to be patient. I want you to be kind. I want you not to be jealous or bra braggart or arrogant or rude or, or selfish or, or easily provoked. Or, I don't want you to keep record of wrongs. Do you read this this way? When you read that love section, when you're honest with yourself, do you hear it like this? Do you, does it just point at you and go, do you rejoice in unrighteousness and are you happy when the truth is out? Do you, do, do you bear all things, believe all things? Do you hope all, you know, I read it that way too, but guess what? Paul didn't write that, did he? Paul personifies love. He goes, he goes love is a person. Do you see Jesus in that? Love is a person. Love, it, Jesus is the one who is patient and kind and not jealous and doesn't brag. Like, he says, love is, not you do. Thank God it's not another Ten Commandment list, is it? Does he want us to be loving? Of course he does. But unless you see love, taste love, experience love, you're never going to give it. What does John write? We love because, anybody fill in the blank? He first loved us. What does that mean? It means you can't love without being loved. Right? Even, even babies. What happens to a baby that isn't held and touched? Do they have a hard time with attachment? Right? Babies who are held and touched are, are better huggers and touchers, right? They, they, and the same with us. When you and I are hugged and touched, you know, when you and I are, are loved by God, when you get that in your heart, when you know that he should have squashed you like a bug on the windshield, but he gave you the king's feast. He gave you the riches of heaven. He forgave all your sins. He took your place on the cross. Then you actually are able to give out love. <clears throat> I read this other article of another Tim Keller lover. She quoted Tim and I liked it. She said, here's the key to the verses four through seven. First, as a guide for your behavior, you'll never get there. If you see this not as a love you have to do first, but a love that was done for you first. If you see him pouring himself into you, that's going to change everything. If you see him loving you like that, that completely. Do you see that? Why spend time with Jesus? Is it to learn the Bible? Or is it to know him? Is it to know him? Are you able to turn, you're able to then turn it around and do it for others. If you see him loving you completely, then you can give it out. Common sense. You could never produce this kind of love ever in a million years. But 
you could pass it on if somebody gave it to you. And you know what's kind of cool? We can be conduits of this love to others, can't we? You know, I, um, my dad will hate me for this, but my dad is generous. When I was in high school, he, he bought a washer and dryer for some friends. My, and, and he was so mad because he, he tried to do it anonymously and they tried to deliver it to Mr. Selesky. You know, and sometimes I'm, why is it maybe easier for me to be generous? Because I had a, a giving father. And we have a very generous God. A very generous God. And you and I can be conduits of his grace, his love, his generosity to others. Will you pray with me? Oh, Lord. Have mercy on us because I know that we, we don't respond to you. You are the one that we said I do to, but we don't always nurture our marriage relationship with you. So forgive us and welcome us back. Let us hear the knock and open the door and come and have fellowship with you. And Lord, may that fellowship flow into our relationships with each other as we go out into the world. May we be changed, Jesus, by your love. I ask this in your name. Amen. Thanks for listening. For more information about Community of Hope, go to www.cohchurch.com. God bless you today.